0: Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Steven Hilger.
1: I'm AJ (gasps) Folleri. I'm here.
0: Yay, the
1: crowd goes wild. Hi. I'll put it in Thank you for joining us. Uh, <laughs> AJ
2: is here to bless us with their unparalleled knowledge of Horizon Forbidden West and Zero Dawn lore. Because mm. Forbidden West came out last Friday, I Yeah, think? This, this past Friday. Time is a blur. Two days ago. Uh, it came out recently, yeah. and uh, we've been, all been playing it, and... I think we would just wanted to have you on regardless of how Brendan or I felt, because I know you're just a huge fan. Yeah. Well, if you're just going to talk about how much
1: you hate it the whole time, I don't think I want to be here for that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> don't
0: worry. Yeah. That was my concern, though, because, like, at least with the first game, I was like a little, I wasn't as rock solid on it as I would have liked to have been. And we'll get into mm-hmm. all of this later, but like, it just got dunked on immediately by Breath of the Wild. So I like yep. haven't really got back to it. But you and I have talked a lot <laughs> about Horizon over the years. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one part was it a new year's party or like a holiday thing i think it was a halloween party it was a halloween oh yeah because i was dressed like spider-man and (laughs) you told me the entire plot of horizon zero dawn yeah i had just
1: finished it like a couple of weeks before that or something and i was uh reeling yeah yeah Uh, uh, this this is truly a blessing for me i'm so happy to be here talking about this game i have one other friend who likes this game as much as i do uh shout out to Jill, thank you for liking this game. Um, but like, I haven't ever really been able to talk to anybody about get like nitty gritty about it, and I'm not I'm not anticipating being able to get into the nitty gritty. But to have my thoughts uh, uh, recorded, I think is uh, I'm very happy
2: about it. you saying like you you had to like let it out. It reminds me of the time before we had this show, and like, how did I even live? Yeah. like I remember I I played Persona Five for the first time and just like cornered my roommate and was like. Bleh! And stop I haven't played I don't care I know
0: it's tax season but let me tell you about the last visit to <laughs> palace.
2: <laughs> everyone's going gaga over the IRS but I want to talk about thieves um anyway uh yeah I played uh, so I picked up Horizon Zero Dawn dramatically on sale in 2018 very early on in our show I hadn't budgeted my time or money regarding like what am I getting for the show and why and how often? And Mm. I think we found a really nice rhythm of like, you know, not being reliant or not having to depend on always covering new releases. Like we can cover old games that we already have. So we we definitely found a balance. But early on, I kind of had this like almost stressful desire just to check out new stuff every week. Mm. Um, And thankfully, it was on sale. It was also on sale with Near Automata <coughs> so I got both those games I, I played them both for a little bit and I kind of I, I got pulled in right away by Nier yeah and I, I still played a decent amount I, I checked in my Sony history like how long did I give Zero Dawn a shot and I played it for six hours which I realized like for that game is like the tip of the iceberg but I still enjoyed it I really enjoyed the stealth and the combat especially in the enemy designs I thought the story at least in the first opening six hours it It was uneven for me. What was landing for me and what wasn't. Yeah, but I still thought I thought it was good. I just didn't really like, you know, with with those open world games. I feel like it's a big ask whenever you start one, and I feel like your choices are either you check it out for a bit and bounce, or it becomes your life. Like there's no middle ground (laughs) with a game like Horizon Zero Dawn (laughs) or Skyrim or whatever. Yeah. So I, I I've I've always thought fondly of it, but I never really got why it was such a big deal for a lot of people. I was glad it clicked with people, but I never really understood why, like, in my experience with it, or at least I didn't feel that way in my experience with it. So I was really excited for Forbidden West to come out because I was hoping that I would like kind of get a stronger sense of like the love you and other friends of mine have for this series. Um, so I've I've played now, I would say. The opening six hours of Forbidden West as well, <laughs> and I'll save my opinion for later. But I, I would love to open with just like how you're enjoying. Like honestly, if you want to get into like your history with Zero Dawn too, I, I want to hear all things that you have to offer
0: about this
1: game. Yeah, uh, I think before I get into mine, I want to hear Brendan's. Sure.
0: Yeah. So Horizon Forbidden, no, Horizon Zero Dawn came out in what was that March of 2017. Um, yeah. and I remember playing it. I I played. I would say probably ten or so hours. I I think at that point in time my take on it was this is probably the best version of this kind of open world I've ever played like the Ubisoft style open world like there's a bunch of icons on the screen I climb a tall thing to see more of the the land uh, and then go travel and do the side missions that I want to do it was like the best version of that that I had experienced in a long time and I think that was kind of like the take as far as I can remember if I recall correctly like most people's take was this is just like an amalgam of every good version of this kind of game and then immediately breath of the wild came out and the nintendo switch like i think (laughs) two weeks later so i had played about 10 hours of this and then breath of the wild came out it was like cool i just played the pinnacle of open world design as we knew it but now I'm playing the future mm-hmm. with Breath of the Wild, uh, and it made it really hard to go back to Zero Dawn, which I've always considered doing. I think the closest I ever got to going back to Zero Dawn specifically was uh, Ghost of Tsushima coming out and playing that, because that it kind of has a similar structure uh, in in terms of its open yeah. world design. Specifically, I think Tsushima takes a lot more from Breath of the Wild in terms of like the aesthetic and and the ability to just kind of like revel in quiet moments in a way that Zero Dawn I think is always trying to be like flashy and big and has like a really beautiful world. And I think a really great sense of atmosphere, but also like wants you to be engaging with its systems and with the giant robot dinosaurs like all the time, because that's the cool shit. So there's that side of things. And I am kind of unfortunately having a similar experience with Forbidden West. I'm excited to play more of it. I Just to be clear, I'm away at the moment, but I'm excited to get home and be able to play more of it. I've only played like two hours of Forbidden West so far, but I have played... Uh, about 10 hours of cyberpunk 2077 um, <laughs> which launched that was a gut punch <laughs> yeah sorry it re it relaunched no. this week <laughs> Uh, it, the mm-hmm. 1.5 patch, uh, and they launched it on next gen consoles. I had gotten a digital code for the PS4 version for, I think, $10 like six to eight months ago. So just got a free upgrade to the PS5 version. And I was like, I'll check this out. I'm like curious to see how good it looks, at least on the PS5, and like if it's still a buggy mess or whatever. I had never played Cyberpunk. The most I have engaged with Cyberpunk is the Tim Rogers review on Action mm-hmm. Button. So I was like, let me check it out. I'm like curious. At At the very least, I have a really cool like street photography simulator in the future and got real wrapped up in it, like really wrapped up in cyberpunk in a way I absolutely was not expecting. Yeah, I still have a lot of issues with like a lot of the things going on with that game and surrounding that game. But to me, I was playing cyberpunk and thinking to myself in a couple days, Horizon Forbidden West is going to come out it's another open world game that is like hyper hyper detailed and kind of has a similar open world structure is just like third person and kind of like that sony over the shoulder vibe Mm. but i was wondering how much i would enjoy forbidden west given how dense cyberpunk is um and i think there's weirdly a lot of comparison points to make but cyberpunk feels like i i I won't get too into my feelings about cyberpunk but cyberpunk to me feels so much like this is actually the peak of where we're at and maybe games (laughs) shouldn't even look this good or be this dense or like have this much content in it etc 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 so starting Forbidden West and playing like two hours of it I was like it's actually nice to have something kind of paired back comparatively because cyberpunk is like too much and uh, that's kind of where I'm at and anyway I, I was nervous as Steve and I were both not going to like it which is why I wanted you to be on the episode AJ <laughs> that's, the, that's the short version <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I, I wanted you to balance out our takes potentially yeah. Yeah, statler and waldorf over here needed
1: some kermit energy you know? <laughs> i can't believe how cursed this game is uh,
0: i know i feel so bad <laughs> for, you, for you especially brendan it's just like and elden ring out next week right yeah, yeah, yeah even, even if cyberpunk hadn't Punk, happened yeah yes elden ring was still coming so like it's getting dunked on no matter what right
1: <laughs> so i i guess i don't know before i i Talk about how I feel about your guys' experiences. (laughs) My experience was seeing this teaser trailer for this video game, July 2016, at E3, and thinking, holy shit, I need to play this game because this looks sick as hell, and then was like really hyped for it. I didn't have a PlayStation at the time, so I didn't know what I was going to do, but I really wanted to play this game, Uh, and then I didn't get a PlayStation until the end of 2017, and I did get Horizon with it. So and I had it and then I still didn't play it for a couple of months for some reason. Uh, and then I think just one day I, I had like I had picked it. I had PS Plus, so I like, you know, was playing all the PS Plus games. I was playing like Bloodborne, whatever. And then one day I was just like, I should pick up Horizon because I remember being psyched about this game. And then similar to you, Steven, I played the first like six to ten hours, whatever it was. And the very beginning of that game is just, like, all set in this one area that's, like, big-ish, but it is, like, a, an enclosed area. And then you don't leave that area until till a, a bit into the story. It's um, weirdly
0: similar to what Breath of the Wild does with right, The Great Plateau, right. in a way. Yeah,
1: I, I can't say whether uh, Horizon does it better or worse than Breath of the Wild, but b- because I haven't played Breath of the Wild. But really? Oh, I wow. will say I think that is probably the weakest part of the game. So I, c- I can say with confidence Breath of the Wild does it better than without yeah. hurting your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, you're not hurting my feelings, I promise. I, I, I will fully cop to that being like a not v- great part of a video game because I played it and then put the game down for three months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I was like, you know, I better give this a shot. I better go back to it and finished up that part. The world opens up. You are in the actual, uh, uh, I almost said the Forbidden West, but that's the new one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You're in the open world. You're in the zero dawn. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that world is just like breathtaking to me. Um, just like the, the way that they have like perfectly simulated a a thousand years of, of society crumbling, uh, combined with a like self-started, uh, uh, reconstruction of, uh, the earth, I think is really, really cool. I love the, uh, machine designs yeah, and and just like all the, the lore and stuff. I, I'm very, very hot on. So I, I, I played that game. I ate it up. I did almost all of the side stuff. I played the DLC and then I've just been waiting for a second one since I finished it in September of 2018.
0: That's a lot of video game. It's a lot of video
1: game. It is a lot of video game, but I, I really like it. And and I haven't really like open world ish games aren't something I had really been exposed to much because like i never really played like i never played any bethesda games but this is like a relatively new i guess genre for me and i guess i had played like the watchdog games but they didn't grab me in the same way that uh horizon did because the watchdog stories are not good just the way that the world is presented and how easy it is to like find collectibles and stuff, because it is all on your map. They're just like little question marks of like, there's something over here. And that is like the perfect way to do stuff like that, because I'm not going to just like poke around the entire map because that feels like a waste of time. But like at that point, I had just wanted to spend more time in that world. So I did all the collect collectible stuff as like I need to see every piece of this world Uh, And I know that there's stuff here, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go collect it. And and so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my, my whole vibe with, uh, Zero Dawn. I I really, really loved it. Uh, and I was looking forward to Forbidden West since, since minute one of finishing the game, (laughs) uh, uh, finishing Zero Dawn. I had been looking forward to it for three four years, whatever.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I'm really glad you had that experience with it. And I think it's also what came to mind while you were sharing that and like talking about what other open world games you had played or not played and which ones clicked with you. And also Brendan's comment about cyberpunk. It's kind of made me think on like the genre as a whole. And I think... I think what we've learned from a lot of these games is like the most successful versions of it, you know, and it's all subjective obviously, but I find that the open world games that that tend to connect with people more successfully are the ones that still have a kind of focused mission. When the mission of the game is just, we're going to be yes. the biggest giantest thing with everything <sighs> in it, it can be a little bit uh, it's diminishing returns at a certain point. Cause it's like, well, what is the intended experience here? Like even Skyrim is like, I think maybe the closest you can have a successful version of like we just threw everything fantasy into this game. There's still like a very intended experience like within that, and there's there's intention in the design of the map and of the quests and of everything. It's more like they've left it open on how you navigate within that, but the parameters are already kind of set. Um, and I think Horizon is like really really good. Even Zero Dawn is really good at the organic behavior of enemies and the sort of Ooh. seamless transition 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 between stealth and combat and that like on the fly tense moment of like crafting arrows studying an enemy i think that's the area where this is on almost the same level as breath of the wild the the enemy intelligence and the way like breath of the wild the the amount of creativity that exists within your relationship with the enemies and how you attack them or like what tools you use is a little bit wider but I do think that the way that the enemies feel alive is really well done in both games and I think it's kind of the selling point cuz so you have this really amazing like beast wars if it was good design of the enemies <laughs> uh, <laughs> I say that as a child who the first time I felt true disappointment was watching Beast Wars as like an eight year old. And I was like, I can tell this sucks. (laughs) Even as a child, I just watched The Phantom Menace and thought nothing. Like I thought it was fine, (laughs) but I can tell this sucks. That was your critical awakening. Yeah, it was. But yeah, I think that I think that's really cool. I'm glad you had that connection with it. And I think that's also like we, we say that this game got like overshadowed or like the spotlight was taken from it for us, but it still did really well. Like this was a huge hit for PlayStation. And it was a right, lot of yeah. people, especially people that didn't have a Switch or didn't maybe have like you know, I, I think I think there's a lot to be said about what your first game is that kind of Like, what is your entry point into a genre? You're always going to have a special place in your heart for Mm. that. And I think a lot of people's entry point was this game. So, like, I I totally get why it has this passionate following. I just feel like I already had my, like, Oblivion armor up, you know? (laughs) Like, like, why (laughs) does no one say, well, met? this sucks. Um, (laughs) So do we want to get into how we're enjoying uh, Forbidden West so far?
0: Yeah. I think that's a good idea. I'll I'll say because I've I've had the lightest experience so far with it. My read on Forbidden West so far is that structurally it seems to be following a kind of a very similar uh, beat to the first one in that I think there's kind of this like enclosed area that you're going to start the game off In Until there's kind of like the big inciting event and then I imagine it's going to turn into a fully more open world. Um, That's based on what I've played so far and what I've like heard other people talk about. What I find very interesting about Forbidden West is that it really does seem like they didn't change a whole lot. They just added more resources to what was already working in the first and at first, I was a little disappointed in that, to be totally honest, because my thought process going into this game was Horizon, Forbidden, or sorry, Horizon Zero Dawn comes out, Breath of the Wild comes out. Pretty much everyone in the industry immediately unanimously agrees this is the future of open world video games. And ever since, there have been some games inspired by Breath of the Wild in different ways that have dropped. And a lot of the like kind of I would say like old hat, open world style games that have been coming out have been trying to grab little bits and pieces from Breath of the Wild ever since, Uh, as Stephen always mentions, like the hang glider, which actually does make an appearance in Forbidden West as well. There it is. Things like that have been making their way into other open world style games. But my big question mark about Forbidden West was how are they going to evolve what Zero Dawn accomplished? Considering Zero Dawn is like an amalgam of every great idea smashed together. Like, how do you evolve something that is kind of like a now that's what I call open world games into the future? (laughs) Um, And the answer is like they just kind of didn't. They just threw a lot more money Behind what already worked in the first one. And I I would say I had like an initial moment of disappointment with that. And now I'm enjoying it because, I mean, it is extremely pretty. Yeah, I, I think the other big thing, this is my only other negative really at the moment, my other big like negative sticking point is that the world is actually so pretty and so well realized and so dense that sometimes things don't feel or or sometimes environments feel so real that I actually have no idea where I'm supposed to be going or what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, There are, instances here and there where i think they have like these pockets of brilliance where like um like in the first game resources that you can pick up and collect have these like blue butterflies flying around them and there's not a whole lot of blue in the environment so like they really stand out that that blue movement in the environment makes it really obvious what you can pick up but then there are other places where i'm i really feel like i'm just like wandering through a dark cave like trying to figure out how the hell to get out with like really no help because it's so beautiful like because it's so graphically intensive and the environments are so dense sometimes it's hard to tell where to go. Outside of that I'm like interested in what's going on story wise I very much like that Aloy is like famous I think that's really funny uh, because I feel like in so many of these games like you have experiences where the protagonist like goes and does a thing and then like nobody really gives (laughs) shit at the end because there has to be a sequel and you kind of need to start off like not as powerful in the (laughs) next one Uh, but in this one Aloy is like very much a famous person she is the person who saved the world and everyone knows it there was a big joke giant evil robot in the sky named Hades and she stopped it and everyone saw it happen so like she starts off on this really interesting place where like she is extremely famous and doesn't really want to be classic shit yeah very Mass Effect, honestly. But outside of that, um, I'm just like watching her teach somebody else how to like use her focus, which is like the little uh, the little piece of technology she uses to be able to like scan things in the environment, see what's going on with the robots, um, and interact with with technology from the old world. Um, so I'm getting a lot of what I liked about Zero Dawn. I'm just not totally sure what the actual story is because I haven't played enough of it. And that's kind of my big, mm. my big caveat here uh, is like, I'm going to come back to this game in like a week or two on this show and be like, wow, this story is really good. But at the moment, mm. I don't know what it is. I just know yeah. that <laughs> Aloy is famous and that's sick because she should be.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, my experience is kind of similar. I'm a, I'm a bit farther ahead of you, but I would say overall, and this might just be my opinion, it inherently is, but I don't know like how widespread this feeling is, but I found the first three hours to be actively pretty weak. Ooh. The way this game opens you get a last time on Horizon summary of yeah. the first game, which I appreciated, but the way it's summed up is a little bit like last time on 13 Sentinels where I'm like, you're just casually dropping wild <laughs> shit that I need some time to process. But, you know, I don't know how they could have avoided that, but I did appreciate, like, okay, that's what happened in the first game. I don't have to, like, go on Wikipedia or anything. And the way the game opens, like, the it feels like we're experiencing what should have been the fifth scene After the opening, but we're getting like a very slow walk and talk with another character down like closed hallways of jungle but it's still like a very closed. it feels like a closed off environment and it's very much a. I gotta go find another way around and push a box down uncharted i'm like are we still fucking doing this like are we still doing that i've got to push a box down for my friend like even uncharted stopped doing that <laughs> like i don't it's not that that's inherently bad but i'm just like why is this the opening to such a beautiful open game like why am i why are they leading with like a boring conversation and pushing a box in a very small environment? Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm sounding too harsh, but I was just like very frustrated early mm-hmm. on. I, I wasn't really gripped by the story at all. Like I was trying to get a sense of who the characters were. And maybe that's because I haven't played the first game, but I found it to be kind of off. And then it ends with a pretty fun boss fight. Like The combat is kind of immediately gripping. And I really liked the Uncharted platforming aspect. I really, really liked that. So those elements, I'm like, okay, I at least like this from it. Ooh. And then the minute you're done with that and you go to the town and you talk to all your old friends, I was like, oh, okay, I'm into the writing now. Suddenly the script came to life. Like the voice acting is great. The the facial animations are like unparalleled. The
1: facial animations are wild. Yeah, they're like off the charts.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So the minute that I was able to like feel present with the characters, I started to really enjoy what was happening. And I have to say, without spoiling too much, the game, you know, is in this post-post apocalypse where like all the remains of the ancestors are like like Silicon Valley nightmare stuff, (laughs) then the rest of the world has kind of become like, I guess kind of like a bronze age sort of like early civilization style Mm -hmm. place. And I I really like that. It takes me out of it when I get too much of the, like we found a hologram of Mark Zuckerberg stuff. Like, I don't know (laughs) if that really meshes for me because it like, I, I get what it does do is it makes Aloy a really fascinating hero because she's kind of burdened with this knowledge of the past that so many other people see as like religious like you know yeah there's a moment where your friend sees a hologram and he thinks it's a goddess and she's like there is no goddess. You know, and and that planted a very interesting seed for me of like she has to like save the world and also be plagued with the knowledge that like the faith everyone else has in her and in the past is kind of non-existent. Mm -hmm. Or at least it doesn't mean what they think it does. Yeah. So that was really brilliant. And then so once you get to the town, you talk to all your friends and then you then the opening credits start three hours (laughs) in you get the opening credits. It soars. It is like a different game. Like, why did you not just start here? Like, this is so hmm. much better than like I don't think it needed that pacing because even though they were like trying to teach you the mechanics to set you up to succeed, I would have rather just been thrown in, you know? Like I would have rather just been like, okay, here's how to craft an arrow. Good luck. And again, that's very <laughs> subjective. But I just think that like I wouldn't be surprised if the first few hours turn a lot of people off because it just feels like like unless you already have the confidence in the game like if you're a big fan of the first one it might not stick out because you're just like pumped to be in the new one Yeah. but as someone who's like wanting to get into this series I found it very much a slug Ooh. but then when the world opens up somehow too the script just comes to life I really have been enjoying the scenes between people I really love learning more about the world like meeting kings and leaders and like seeing like all the towns I, I went to the first big town and it just feels so alive, and even the side quests you pick up feel like they're given the same importance in terms of the animation and the acting and everything as the main quest. It's completely gripped me. I'm like so into it now. In a way, absolutely, I've never 180ed that quickly about a game <laughs> in the in the first handful of hours. But uh, I also have to say, we brought this up a long time ago on our Skyrim bonus. But it's kind of wild how Skyrim has had such an influence on this genre of game. Yet it's one of the only games that has the like compass header that shows you things you haven't discovered yet and how far away they are. Horizon Forbidden West has taken that and put it into the game and I'm so happy. Thank I'm God. Like, Finally someone took the Skyrim compass.
0: Yes. It's so good. Skyrim continues.
2: Uh, so I'm I'm still very early on but I'm really really <laughs> enjoying the open world now that I'm in it. Uh, I really enjoy the quests and the, and the atmosphere is fantastic. The main plot I'm like still uncertain about but I'm enjoying the other stuff enough that I'm happy to be there and also the combat I just unlocked the like special move where you put on face paint and your bow is stronger it (laughs) rules the combat is so fun so anyway I'm loving it now but I I did want to set up the caveat of like I do think the prologue is like noticeably at least not on the same level as what comes next
0: the thing about the prologue is like I think there are a couple different schools of thought when it comes to open world game design and specifically like if you're trying to tell a compelling narrative in an open world like that where you could have the Skyrim thing which Which is, like, you got nothing, really. You have the opening with the dragon, and then it's like, (laughs) good luck. Like, if you want to do the the main quest, like, it does exist. Oblivion, which I think actually funnels you even deeper into it, right? Because you have, like, a pretty long opening with Patrick Stewart in it, which, like... (laughs) that ends with you having a pretty good idea of what to do next uh you can just break off and go do open world stuff but like i i think that opening is compelling enough that you'll want to continue that story at least a little bit and then you get to see the oblivion gates and things like that what's interesting about horizon forbidden west i think is it's trying to be that that like sony exclusive playstation studios big budget triple a over the shoulder narrative thing like a last of us like a spider-man like a god of war so they almost need you to be invested in the story. And because of that, they're like restraining you into like fitting a very streamlined railroaded narrative into the first couple hours to make sure that you're invested in the story. So you'll want to continue it when the open world starts instead of like kind of just almost having the confidence to just know that the story is compelling enough that people want to figure it out. Confidence is a perfect word. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's kind of a weaker way to open the game in this case, but I think it's more necessary in this game than the first one, because the first game's whole mystery, the underlying mystery is what happened to the world. Why is it like this? You can tell that it's a post-post-post apocalypse, but like, how did we get there? Why is it like this? Why is Aloy the only one who can interact with this stuff? And that lingering mystery is the thing that pulls you along in Horizon Zero Dawn and is so fucking compelling, because any scrap of information you can find is like the juiciest apple you've ever bitten into you know with curse knowledge of course and then this game because that's already kind of out of the way and you need to like figure out a new narrative to fit into with this world even though the like most interesting thing about it has been discovered now and is given to you in a three minute clip that you get to watch before you start playing the only thing you can really do is funnel people into a narrative sequence that just kind of like makes sure that people know what they're getting into and why this game is going to be interesting and a cool sequel to the first one
2: that's true I think I think with even though I said I'm unsure about the, the narrative I'm more unsure about like the details for me yeah. the the heart of it so far is kind of what you said about Aloy being famous like without spoiling the interactions I've had with pretty much every character have been like everyone kind of wants a to like enjoy life and settle down and be part of their life. And she's still like, I'm still a video game protagonist. I have to go and do the next thing. <laughs> so, like, yeah. that sort of like dissection and, and introspection of like, what do you do after you save the world? If that's like all you're like kind of made to do, if that's like your role in society is to be a savior, are you comfortable with just like enjoying that new status or do you have to move on to find the next thing? Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really like that has created a really interesting dynamic again, kind of going back to mass effect. It reminds me of mass effect too, where like you have this history with this cast and everyone is sort of like questioning what your new role is in the galaxy and like who you are now after, you know, defeating the, the enemy of mass effect one. So like that to me is really compelling. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to see more of it. And I imagine I will continue to enjoy it more as I get further in.
1: Yeah. Uh, First of all, I forgot that I was on the podcast. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, I was just, I was just like listening. I was like, this is a great episode. And then I was like, wait, fuck (laughs) And then I looked over at my my open recording software and it's like, fuck, I haven't talked in.
2: Oh, I'm here?
1: It's like shit. Um, I
2: have so many nightmares that are exactly like that, like on stage where I'm and like, I'm in underwear. I'm like cast in a play
1: I'm watching, I'm like, oh ew, I don't know what the lines. Yeah. I have that I maybe my the nerdiest thing about me, I have that dream, but for marching band shows. I'm like, fuck, I'm on the field no, that rules. and I don't know
0: what any of the moves are oh, or the music.
1: God. Anyway. <laughs> It's uh, even funnier. You're like, where the fuck is AJ? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's rough. Uh, I will agree that the the beginning of this game is is I do think also again uh, repeating the Zerodon the weakest part of the game. Sure, but I will also agree that this like having played the last game, I was immediately like enamored. I was like fully sure, all the way back yeah. in. I was like, fuck yes, Varl's back love this guy. I know what's happening. Like I know, I I understand like why, you know, all this, this stuff is happening. But I think, and actually something you said, Steven kind of helped me make this connection just now. Uh, at the very end of that, when Varl, you're the companion you end up with, it's not a spoiler, it happens in the, literally the first minute of the game, uh, and is yeah. in all the trailers, so <laughs> don't come at me. Um, <laughs> what the fuck, AJ
2: Ruin, <laughs> for he, me. He,
1: <laughs> he sees this hologram and is like, oh my gosh, it's the goddess, and Aloy is like, just because the virtue of what this mission she's on, which I will not spoil, is just like, no, that's not the goddess, you just don't understand, there's like so much that I can't explain to you. And bringing that up now, like made me think about in the first game, like where Aloy is from the Nora tribe, their goddess is called the all mother and the all mother is literally just a door. It's a right. big I that, yeah. fucking door and <laughs> nobody mm-hmm. knows how to open it and it can scan people because it's a door and that's how the door opens. And like it's it's that same situation, but not until the end of Zero Dawn. So I think what's happening in the beginning of Forbidden West, it's trying to kind of like truncate Aloy's like place in the world and like the, the stuff that she knows versus kind of like what the average Person uh, and even the people that she knows, like they aren't on the same level of knowledge as she is. Uh, And this whole beginning part is just trying to really, really make sure that you understand that and you know that uh, because that is uh, you spend the entire first game. Uh, like Brendan said, just picking up these morsels of information and and slowly building your knowledge base about like what happened, how we got here, and nobody else knows this stuff. And so at the end of the first game, you go into the Mother, you open the door, and you go inside, and then you come out, and you know you get, get all this new information in there. But you come out, and the Nora are like every single Nora in the tribe is in that cave by that door, like bowing down to you. They start calling you the Anointed, and she runs out of there, like lifting people up. She's like, "No, this isn't anything special. This is just a door." And I just have knowledge. And then she like runs and leaves and does whatever she needs to do. And it's like it's it's not even for a second. The game isn't like, isn't it cool how much Aloy knows the game? Like the game wants you to think that, like, this is a burden. And it's like it's it's hard to have all this knowledge and not have the language to express it. And I think I think the beginning of the game really does, for me, at least, does a really good job of kind of reencapsulating that vibe and just kind of like getting you back down the funnel of the game of like, here is here is what we're we're totally with.
2: And her heading West is really less about whatever the threat is and more about not feeling like she deserves this title. You know, for me, it's more running away than anything else, especially like the way that scene happens. It's really like maybe one of the best opening credit sequences. It's so ironic Mm. that I'm like the first hour sucks. It's like the opening credits are amazing and so (laughs) gripping and what follows is so fun i mean it, it does remind me a lot of witcher 3 as well weirdly another cyberpunk connection in the way that the the detail that's given to the side quest and the acting you know like that's something that feels very like it, it reminds me that i'm playing a next gen system quote unquote yeah. where it's like you know when i get a side quest it's not just uh some dude facing the wall who says like i need eight rabbit feet it's like <laughs> a fully realized character who like you know the first side quest i got was from like a dude like working as a line cook in a Mm -hmm. busy tavern i'm like just a little like it doesn't have to be like a huge thing it doesn't have to be the biggest and best quest but just like the fact that i i i get a quest from someone who's in the middle of their life is really meaningful to me
1: and it makes it feel so
2: much more immersive
1: yeah and i think that quest is like they are just trying to flex because that quest literally is i need boar meat and berries (laughs) which is like yeah. the most baseline like MMO, like go fetch me this shit and come back. I need yes. eight of these.
2: And I was like, so I was thrilled right. to and do you, that. You, yeah. you
1: meet Mildriff, and he's like frazzled and he has a personality immediately. And then you can ask him questions about like, why are you in this town? Like, how did you start this tavern? Blah, blah, blah. What's happening. Uh, and he gives you kind of the entire rundown of like, what's the, 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 internal political climate of that town and then is like all right go get me boar meat like <laughs> um, which is great I think it's great uh, and also uh, that's I think a good starting quest because in the first game I don't think there's any quests where you need to like actually hunt animals but you do need hides and stuff to like upgrade your your pack and whatnot like carry how many arrows you can carry and stuff so I did a lot of zero dawn with like the base of like arrow uh capacity and oh, like really? the baseline of like yeah because i didn't realize like or i i you know i would look at that stuff and i was like oh i'll get that stuff eventually and then i realized like oh the one thing that i need is like one boar hide and there's like boars everywhere i'm just not killing them because they're not giant robots
2: yeah it's like why would why would i hunt a boar when i could hunt like a giraffe with the enterprise as yeah. a face <laughs> you know right
1: yeah so i think that that for 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 me uh does a, a a very good job of being like look the animals have like valuable resources as well and they are also they are equally as part of this world as as the huge machines are um,
2: yeah i think that's a really great message too. I mean, the game is is very much about like i don't know i mean i, I haven't played all all of zero dawn and i only know like bits and pieces of the story but there mm. is an optimism to the apocalypse here that's that's nice you know it's like mm. it's not sugarcoating the heavier moments but it's also like not Dour, like some other kind of apocalyptic games are, that like sometimes is too much. Like we talk about Fallout a lot, where it's like, I don't want to be here anymore at a certain point.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah to be clear I, I was that, thinking about yeah. Fallout 4 a lot while we were talking about pretty much all of this because I think Fallout 4 kind of stumbles into every problem that we've listed right like that, <laughs> that, story, that story even goes like even further in the direction that we were kind of uh, nervous about which is like actually the, the narrative is so important and they force it on you so hard that to do anything else feels like the wrong move like morally speaking yeah. like I feel like I'm doing the wrong thing by like going and having a fun detective romp when I should be going and finding my son who has been kidnapped mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and, at
2: least Oblivion leaves some room for role playing where it's like I don't know who Patrick Stewart is I'm gonna go somewhere else yeah. like, I don't
0: owe him shit you know yeah. yeah it's hard to do that with your son <laughs> 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 uh, but also that world is so dour and so like kind of sad to be in that, uh, you know, I I think in terms of uh, apocalypse stories, Fallout 4 is a pretty rough one. Uh, to try and mm-hmm. swallow for the most part Forbidden West and Zero Dawn to its credit as well I, I, I think both feel like really wonderful spaces to kind of explore and be in um, and that's mm-hmm. that's where the similarity to Breath of the Wild also comes in right like Breath of the Wild I think also does that post-apocalypse thing in a kind of a really kind of like beautiful and nuanced way that has that air of positivity about it has that air of like we're gonna make it work even though things are objectively fucking awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, right it's the idea that like,
2: life continues to exist even after after the villain wins kind of thing exactly
1: yeah uh, Steven, you've brought up a couple of times how you like kind of just know like the baseline of the story and stuff. Have you like dipped into the, the, the start menu like codex for the characters? Because there's actually a lot of really good information with the little character bios that they give you in your. I think I should
2: because I have a very hit and miss relationship with codexes and mm. games. I either like ignore it completely like I block it out of my memory or I read it all. There's no yeah. middle ground. <laughs> I think the only two games where I've like really valued the codex have been Hades, and Mass Effect, obviously, mm. but I think that this game would also be worth reading that because I think that like I'm very intrigued by what the world is like now. Yeah, you know one of you, one of your friends is is a king in in the beginning of two, and just like the way he walks around and what he's adorned with mm-hmm. and how he interacts with you, I, I really like that that just planted a seed of interest for me where I'm like what is that kingdom like Mm -hmm. like what you know why like how does how does the monarchy here work and I think that that's like it kind of touches into again like a more positive Mad Max energy where it's like Mad Max is kind of this like you know civilization after disaster but it's all it's all so violent and so like you know uh this is more you know it's more uh about civilization less about like groups against other groups yeah. kind of thing
1: not to not to not to be this person but like if you want to know how meridian works you should play the first game because <laughs> that, is, that is your hub like everything happens in that kingdom um yeah and that's how you make that relationship with a avon
2: i've been debating going back and playing more of it I, i've been a little bit spread thin lately but i, I do no. want to maybe get another shot I, i've been kind of like hoping that forbidden west would be like my entry point into the series so mm. there have been a lot of cases on this show where like Brendan or myself will get into a game via a more recent one and then go back. Yeah. So if that's what happens here, like I'm happy to do that too. And
1: from my memory, I I think, and and kind of what Brendan said too, it's like by going back to zero dawn after playing forbidden West, you're not losing a whole lot in terms of like how the game plays and stuff like all the basic elements from zero dawn are in forbidden west if just like they've tweaked some stuff a little bit like the inventory management is is instantly better in forbidden west than it was in zero dawn yes Um, by giving you a stash that you can access in any town um amazing but like you're not gonna it'll still basically be the same game and the writing is basically the on par i think in in zero dawn i think the writing in forbidden west is a little more like human in a way I guess like there's there's just like there, there's more and maybe it's the facial expressions uh, as well but like there's just more like humanity behind what everybody is saying and kind of just like the the ways that people are like interacting with the last line that was just said in a way that that feels really good.
0: And I, I would say in Zero Dawn that that experience that you were talking about getting your first side quest to go get boar pelts and berries like I didn't have a whole lot of experiences like that in Zero Dawn. Um, no. I, I, Zero Dawn focused so so much of their uh, their like budget and time on making sure that the main quest felt super rich and detailed and then and I think kind of like a lot of open world games, I think kind of ignored a little bit of that characterization and, and that like little uh, special magical dust uh, to pour onto the side quests uh, in a lot of instances. And yeah. in, in that way, they kind of funnel you into the main quest, which, again, is really compelling. So, yeah. yeah.
1: But I think um, you never made it out of the, the first area, did you? I did. I think, I, think I, <laughs> I stopped playing right when I like right then free to go anywhere. Yeah. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brendan, you were you were you didn't make it out of there either, right? I did. Yeah, you did. Oh, OK, because I just feel, I feel like the the beginning of it definitely funnels, tries to funnel you as hard as it as hard as it can, because there's like a huge event that happens at the end of that little arc. Um, yes. But I, I, I do agree there. There are some side quests in Zero Dawn that like stand out. In, in my head like I think about them constantly like there's this one every bandit camp you find there is this mercenary or just like assassin or maybe just serial killer who is like just like going from bandit camp to bandit camp to like murder them all and and like some some of the bandit camps you can find him at and then you're like oh okay let me help you take out this bandit camp because obviously you know bandits are bad they hold people hostage there's like people in prison, whatever and then the, the that whole arc is like you just meeting him over and over and over again and he is like His character is wild, and I, I... So I would highly suggest that that side mission. I think I think there's a way that you could kind of miss it if you just don't do the bandit camp stuff, because they are they do get kind of repetitive where you're just like sneaking around and just like taking people out with your arrows for like 10 minutes. But I would highly suggest you do those if you're playing Zero Dawn, um, because uh, the culmination of that storyline is actually kind of affecting.
0: I I think that's kind of one of the the pushback points I have for this style of open world game at this Mm. point is like the Ghost of Tsushima also did this. where like, okay so Far Cry kind of popularized this bandit camp idea right where like you have to Mm. sneak in you can sneak in from anywhere but you do have to sneak in or you could go in guns a-blazing and you could just take out all the people who are there and then when you do that the the flag changes from the color of the bandits to the color (laughs) of whoever the good guys are in whatever game you happen to be playing and like that is almost like the the bonfires and fog walls weirdly of Mm. like that style of open world game is like having those things having side quests uh where you upgrade stat points Specifically, like, in Ghost of Tsushima, I'm thinking of, um, like, following the foxes around. Like, once you followed, like, 14 or 15 foxes around, you, like, stop doing it. It's just, like, I I don't find this really compelling anymore. It's not really very interesting. And Horizon Zero Dawn also had that. Is that. Does that also make a comeback in Forbidden West? Is that also here?
1: The bandit camp stuff?
0: Yeah, like bandit camps.
1: I... Don't think so. I've just gotten to the part where like I'm in the Forbidden West um, and like I found my first tall neck to like do the first big scan. So there are like settlements and stuff. I don't know if there there are bandit camps. It seems like they might have replaced yeah. that with like uh, smaller villages that
0: are being attacked by machines. Mm. maybe
1: i I, that that's even more interesting
0: i guess that's kind of the point i'm trying to make is like there are these like kind of stalwart styles of play that are always copy pasted into open world games just because like people expect them to be there that like Mm -hmm. sometimes don't really fit the overall vibe of the thing and i like the idea way more of like i'm going to go into this small village and save it from attacking creatures because that fits the vibe of horizon way more than like just going around and clearing out a bandit camp would yeah.
2: Yeah. For, for context, like in the first town you find there were like three side quests and they all had that level of detail with the the chef. Mm. And like I did one where I had to go to a mine and save the miners who were there. And like that involved like swimming more than I'd ever done before. So like even in that quest that was optional, I was learning more about the environment and like seeing another side of the world. That's so great. I don't know if that'll be the case for all of them, but so far that's what they're leading with. That seems to be pretty promising to me. Yeah.
1: Something else I've noticed with the, the, the side quests, there's one where you, you need to go into a, a different mine for a different reason. Um, just cause you're investigating stuff and there's, you know, there's a couple of, of machines in there. And then once you take them out that's that's it but after i took those machines out i then kind of took stock of like the area i was in and i was like oh there's all kinds of environmental shit that i could have messed with here that i wouldn't have probably even had to have like drawn an arrow like i could have just done all of this with the environment around me um which is a thing that is not in in zero dawn uh, that they have definitely added and i think they probably kind of copped from uh, breath of the wild uh, where it's just like you can, you know, there are like rocks that you can like knock the 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 thing out or whatever and the rocks will fall on them or there's like explosives somewhere or if you get up high enough, there's like a mine cart that's sitting on a, a, a track that you could push off. So I, I think there's more of a focus on kind of like using the environments instead of just like being in them. At, at least that's that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from from the early hours of this game, which I think is pretty, I don't know, I feel pretty good about it.
2: That's a good move. Was there Uncharted platforming in Zero Dawn? Yes. I don't really remember. Yes. Oh, there was? Okay. Because yeah. that that is like, I think, on par with the combat in this game. It's really, really well done. Yeah, the
1: traversal rules.
2: It's really fun. And I also just like the. Uh the again going back to the enemy interaction like shooting an acid arrow at an enemy that's weak to it and seeing them like roll around mm-hmm. as their like armor is melting off mm-hmm. it's very sad but it's also <laughs> like very it makes me feel like everything i'm doing is having like a very important results yeah. you know whether it's
1: succeeding or failing right yeah one of my favorite things to do is to shoot pieces off of of machines Like there there are certain machines that you'll find in in that area where you are, Stephen, that have like two big like acid tanks on their back. And you could either shoot that with an acid arrow and it'll explode or you can shoot it with a regular arrow and it'll pop off. And then you can you can use that popped off piece as resources now. So I think that's an extremely... I, I, that's something I really loved in Zero Dawn. That's something I really love in this game as well. It's just, like, the amount of shoot-offable parts, I think. Um, <laughs> it's just, like, it's... I don't know. It's just so fun. I also think the
2: sense of progression is much stronger. Because, <laughs> like, like any game like this, you have, like, a skill tree for mm-hmm. different avenues to go down. But, like, they're much more exciting in this one for some reason. Like, seeing, like, okay, I can focus on archery. Or, like, just the ability to, like, hack machines and mm-hmm. tame them better. Or focus on like brawling with my spear all of that like you know the styles of play they've accounted for and also like i think this is the big thing it's like a lot of times you get those skill trees and then it's like your punch is 0.5 times faster and it's like that doesn't mean anything i just you know (laughs) wasted a point this it's like the first perk you get for archery is you can slow down time when you zoom in which is huge like you you really feel every advancement and not to mention like now i can rub face paint on and i'm stronger i don't know why i love that so much but it's very cool the
1: direction of those those little bits is so sick like the camera yeah. like does like a 360 around her yes, like zooms camera, in on her yeah. face as she's like pulling her hand away from and putting she the like face sparks paint on. it's sick it's so fucking it's rad it's the only
2: time you really see her pumped to be the chosen yes. one because like every <laughs> other time yes, she's totally. like kind of like eh, like i don't really deserve this but then she's like oh, i'm fucking ready to yep. kill some machines yeah it's Beast Wars baby It Let's rules. Do this. It rules. Oh, it's so good I also think I need to give a shout out to the pull caster I don't know why but like the, the even in the prologue which I was like more uncertain about the moments that I was like oh this rules were prying open a door and using <laughs> yeah. you you had this tool called the pull caster that's like this grappling hook you can throw onto things and then just like pull rubble out of the way I'm like why do I love like moving garbage yeah. like why is that <laughs> why is that so pleasing to do yeah. and again it's worth noting this game also uses the like feedback on the PS5 remote in a big way. They've reeled it back in a little bit from Ratchet & Clank which like would make your hands numb like every second. Like (laughs) There was a moment in Ratchet & Clank where someone was typing on the keyboard and you could like feel the like keys being hit. Oh god. Or someone would crack their knuckles and you would feel like, I was like ugh. So this is like a little bit more tame. I did enjoy that as a spectacle in Ratchet & Clank (laughs) but for a game like this which you're going to be playing for a much longer amount of time, Mm. it's mostly applied to like the bow and to just like the combat like it's not like every, you don't feel someone yawn you know it's not like <laughs> it's not that intimate yeah but yeah I mean I'm really impressed by it I'm very 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 glad because I, I wanted to like I didn't, I didn't come into this with like my arms crossed like, I really wanted this to be the game that, like, it kind of invited me in. And I'm very glad I'm feeling it more after the prologue. And I imagine when I finally get to the... For- so I actually have a question for you, AJ. Sure. Now that you're in the the Forbidden West mm-hmm. itself, like, have you noticed the game, like, change? In, without spoiling, like, have you noticed it, like, really take off or change in a
1: certain way? Or is it just, like, a natural evolution of what we've seen in the early areas after the like inciting event that gets you into the west there is like like that's a very clear delineation be like okay we are now leaving this old game behind we are now in you know we're in the next part of the game but i think it, it doesn't feel like it's like wow we are now in this huge open thing like uh because i think that feeling is like when you like as soon as you get to chain scrape like that's you're you're in like the the big part of the world um but then once you like cross the gate or whatever it just feels it feels like a logical continuation i think cool like it's it's there's because i think they do such a good job with that little blocked off opening area like that opening area with chain scrape and then there's a couple of camps and mines and stuff and then barren light at the very end of it i think that area is awesome and i think you could spend a lot of time in that area and and i've i've read some stuff that was like maybe don't spend a lot of time in that area because the the open world part of it is like past that. Um, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that take because there is so much to do in that beginning area and it all feels like it means something or at the very least, like feels like you're, I don't know, contributing to the world, uh, you know, as a cho- it does, a yeah. chosen one should or something. But then like once you get out in that world, it kind of just it to me, it just felt like I was back in Zero Dawn. Like the first thing I did was I, I ran to a tall neck, which are like Stephen said, the giraffe guys with the Enterprise on their head. <laughs> And and the, the tall necks are this game's version of the Assassin's Creed like Eagle bird's eye view whatever oh no way that's very cool so you get to the top of those and then you can kind of you get like an overview of the map in the area and those are fucking sick every time they were sick in zero dawn they're sick in this game i i I love them so much because it's just like here's another kind of parkour challenge like it's it is just like they turn the uncharted uh style like traversal all the way up and it's like you're gonna need to solve a lot of traversal puzzles to get to the top of this one and it's that's so cool i feel like there's a way where that could be like a little too much but so far i I loved it in, in zero dawn every single time I did it. I love it in this game and it's, it's great. But to, to, I guess, go back to your question. Um, it, it feels like a logical continuation of like, we are, we did all this stuff and now we are here and then we're continuing on farther West.
2: I'm excited to get there too. Cause from what I, what have, what's been told to me by the King is that that area is like another society that like, mm-hmm. doesn't really, I imagine they probably don't see Aloy in the same light. So like, I'm very curious what the story will look like Mm. when you have like a chosen hero who is being showered with admiration and runs from that into literally a band landscape full of strangers. So like that to me is very compelling.
1: I'm really I'm really glad you're really enjoying it as a big fan of the series. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm having a great time. I think this is a great follow up to the first one. I'm feeling very rewarded for knowing the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah yeah, like I feel like I did my homework like I was supposed to and now I I can I'm being rightfully punished for my (laughs) lack of um but that being said there are a lot of really great like lore recaps out there um I I I do just want to quickly shout out if I may Eurogamer did a four-part series you only need to watch the first two uh because it's the the history behind the first game and then the events of the first game uh, and those cool. are those are two 30 minute videos that I think are very rewarding um, and give you a
0: lot of information. Send me the links to those. I'll put them in the show notes so other people can. watch. Sure. Them. Yeah, I,
1: I think they're great. I mean, you're not going to get the like rewards of like slowly uncovering the mystery of like how we got to uh, where we are now with Zerodon, But you, you will get the whole story uh, and history, which I think is great. It's it's really good. And that's the thing, too is like, I, th- I think the the, the writing like lore wise in this game is sick. It's so good. And the fact that they had, they like did the world building for the world that you're playing in, and then also had to do the kind of world building for the world that has been left behind. Both feel equally as strong to me in, in kind of distinctly different ways. And I'm looking forward to being in this world more. I'm curious if there's going to be any more like history stuff. That we're going to learn about because like Mm. I basically know everything uh, and I don't know if (laughs) I I, I truly don't know if there's anything else to to learn. I mean, they do show you in that first opening mission, like the facility that you're going through that kind of has its own little bit of history um that is connected yes. to the stuff that you've learned in the first game um but it's kind of like its own self-contained thing so i'm curious maybe it'll just be more of kind of like those like smaller bits that don't really have an impact on on the whole history of the game but are like kind of related um which i would be down for um to to see more of that stuff but uh, i don't know if it'll be as like relevant you know uh, yeah in a way yeah i
0: wonder if this game is more about the future i feel like some of those there were a couple like little lingering breadcrumbs in those opening i would say in like that opening hour with um some mm-hmm. of the hologram uh some of the hologram like speeches you come across that really felt like they were kind of breadcrumbing potential huge twists for later or like some big revelations mm-hmm. and maybe reshape what we thought we knew about the first one um am kind of excited to see if they pull on those threads or if those are mm-hmm. just dangling threads that i can like cut off with scissors <laughs>
1: I would, lo- I would love for that to be the case. I would love for if all of a sudden they were like, remember this stuff from the beginning of the game? Fuck you. It's important. Yes. Uh, I think that yeah. would be fucking sick. I think that would be well,
2: sick. Well, it, it'll be interesting to learn why it's forbidden. Like, Is it dangerous or is there info there that that undoes like mm. what we've known
1: so far yeah. kind of thing? Mm. Interesting. Breadcrumbs. It's crumbs. a fun game. I <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> Bread it. Breadcrumbs Bread yeah. and Num yummy. Yeah. <laughs> I am so happy to hear you guys enjoying it. And I... I'm sad that you're probably going to get more into Elden Ring once that comes out because that game was (laughs) fucking (laughs) sick. But hey, Godspeed, you know?
2: (laughs) You know what? This year, as we've said often, this year is already like fully stacked with giant releases, Mm -hmm. so it's going to be hard to make time for anything. (laughs) I do definitely see myself like going back to this one, but this was a, a great game to revisit and kind of slowly go through at my own pace, Ooh. you know, like that's kind of what I did with ghost of Tsushima for a long time, but you know, we've compared the two and like that game, I really like, even though it was definitely like another, now that's what I call open world game game. It was so well done in it and, it, and it definitely had a narrative that was compelling to me, and I just loved the, like... That game really, again, Brendan, you you said this already, but I think it's a great point. It captured the quiet moments of Breath of the Wild in its best moments. Like, when you did clear out a bandit camp, the, the screen you would get to show you you're leveling up was, like, you, like, sleeping on your horse, and, like... Yes. I would always let those moments, like, really stay, because I loved that in-between... Because the, the the world map, while beautiful and while also had calm moments, was always like, here's another bandit camp. Here's another fox. Here's another this. And it's like, just give me a second to just really enjoy being here and like, yeah. feel like I'm actually making this world a better place. Which that's another, I think, key element to me is like, are my actions actually helping this world that I find so beautiful Ooh. and inviting? You definitely feel that in Breath of the Wild. And I think you definitely feel that in Forbidden West as well. Even if it's just like helping a busy chef with like bore meat, like yeah. I know that will make his job easier. Which yeah. is like, why? Do, why do I care about a fictional chef's job? But here I am. Um.
0: Yeah, tool. Yeah, that's I, it. I'm, I'm going to play a lot more of it, um, <laughs> and I imagine we'll come back and talk more about it. Yeah, uh, in I hope future I episodes. So. Um, AJ, please come back and talk to us more about please Forbidden West when we've I, all gotten much further in.
1: I I will because I'm I'm sure that I'm going to keep playing it. <laughs> alongside the game that i'm the other game that i'm playing but uh i won't talk about that game because (gasps) it's still a secret until (gasps) friday no until tomorrow i guess
2: technically also worth noting in the discord uh there's a very active channel for forbidden west so if you're playing it too and you want to talk to other people about it uh you can join the discord into the cast that online people seem to be really loving it which is cool yeah it's a very inviting energy um so yeah great (laughs) <laughs> it reminds me a lot. Someone brought this up in the Discord. I was amazed they listened back to this. But in an older episode, I mentioned a Skyrim character I made named Sue with an umlaut over the U, who was a Nord that just wanted to head west. That was the only goal. Oh yeah. So I feel like I, I manifested Forbidden West with wow. Sue. <laughs> That's funny. It's like you can't go any more west. There's no more west. That's very what funny. lies beyond Markarth. You know. No one knows. Anyway. Shall we take a break and move
1: on to the rest of the episode?
0: Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Wonderful. Horizon Forbidden West, available for the PlayStation 4 and 5.
1: I am playing it on the 4, I guess I should say. And I have not noticed any, like, considerable framiness or anything. It, it plays great.
0: Cool.
2: I've been playing it on PS5, and I have noticed some. <laughs> well, <laughs> the frames are fine, but uh, every now and then in, like, dialogue or cutscenes, things will, like, load in, like... 10 seconds later oh really honestly that's
1: something that happened in zero dawn 2 yeah it's stuff would pop in it's not an issue the only time it was really
2: funny was like in the big decision of like do you want to talk to your friends more do you want to leave Aloy was like making conversation with someone nearby (laughs) as you like zoomed out like (laughs) do you want to leave she's like yeah i guess i can help you find that thing
0: That's, that's but so uh, like
2: it's very it's very much in the like this is kind of charming skyrim way and not like like that when you're actually playing the game it's flawless in my opinion yeah. Or at least i haven't run into any issues that are noticeable
0: yeah. um so yeah
2: either way you're good you're good <laughs> Sorry, I don't know,
0: th- that just reminded me, I was playing cyber- cyberpunk not free of bugs in the 1.5 patch, I would say. <laughs> oh my god. I was uh, I was walking down a street yeah. just like kind of jumping into and out of photo mode and I found this person who was like lit really beautifully, they were just eating curly fries next to a neon sign, so like they were lit really well while eating curly fries and like looking at me and uh, I went to go into photo mode and I was like, eh, let me just move a little bit and I popped out of photo mode and they slowly started sinking into the concrete <laughs>
2: like it was quicksand
0: and like just eating curly fries and still oh staring directly into my eyes as they just wow. disappeared it wow. was incredible it's like a mama <laughs> short film i love yeah. that
1: yeah.
0: Consumerism. Wow. It's seen, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> consumerism it's quicksand
2: yeah it's just called consumerism even the street needs to consume something
0: someone so yeah That's anyway great uh cool horizon forbidden west uh yeah let's take Good a break game. and we'll come back and uh talk about even more video games wow <laughs> bye-bye oh, man there's more of them all right bye dear listener we are back but aj is not aj thank you so much for joining us for the horizon forbidden west segment uh i imagine we'll we'll bring them back for more horizon talk eventually when Steve and i have yeah. played more of it but it, it's funny i feel like So infrequently, do we talk about news on this show? But very frequently, do I say that infrequently we talk about news on this show? Because, like, it's always Nintendo-related, too, whenever we have to bring news up. But there is a thing that happened this week. There was an announcement that happened that I think you and I wanted to talk about on the show a little bit, where Nintendo has announced that they're shutting down the eShop for the Nintendo 3DS and the Wii U. There's, I think, a back and forth of understanding about this, but, like, what's happening soon is that they're gonna stop allowing credit card payments to be made in both of those shops. And then in March of 2023, so a year and one month from now, just about, they're gonna actually shut them down. You won't be able to buy anything. So in the interim period without credit card use, I think you'll have to either use like residual eShop money that you have or go get new Nintendo gift cards, I guess, would be the only way to buy stuff. But you know, you and I talk a lot about game preservation on the show. I, I think just like holistically, I think this is a bad move. Uh, Nintendo has some stuff in their press release about it that's like, we also don't plan on offering this stuff anywhere else. Um, That's the thing.
2: It's like, I get needing to shut, like, you can't support this on old systems forever. Yeah. But the fact that there's no backup, there's no alternative other than arguably the virtual consoles on Switch that are a subscription model with no clear plan. So it's like... As exciting as it is that we got like earthbound and stuff, it's like is the concept of an e store where you could buy new and old games like obviously we had that on the switch, but like the we've mentioned this a lot with the three d s like three d s is sort of the de facto way to get nintendo games easily through an official way yes. right like of course like emulation exists and like we're in favor of that especially when nintendo doesn't back up their own stuff like that responsibility falls on other people unfortunately yeah and while there's great work being done there like that shouldn't really be the case you know like yeah it shouldn't have to be someone else's responsibility to preserve the legacy of of their library. I mean that's you know it's uh, it's a big conversation but overall like I'm very comfortable with supporting emulation in face of like not only a lack of preservation but like actively trying to <laughs> work against it.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize until this week I saw some stuff talking about how Nintendo specifically has lobbyists in place that are trying to prevent video games from being added to libraries as well. Like you know how you can go to a library and you can take out a movie like yeah libraries also want to do that with video games and nintendo is paying lobbyists to prevent that from happening so they're like it's so weird they're removing access via their own channels telling people that they're not going to back up those games or allow people to get those games at all and then also asking people not to pirate things and emulate them so like really what option do you leave especially in the face of like I mean we're about to talk about some games that we think are like worth picking up some way shape or form of and like some of them are like my favorite games of all time and to just lose them forever is so dumb it's like actively really stupid so frequently we're just like please let me give you money and they say no
2: right it's like what is there to gain from doing all this when all that happens is the cartridges get really expensive but they don't
0: get that money either they don't get that money because it's all resale yeah
2: it doesn't make any sense like maybe there's some sinister reason for doing so but it just feels like the only thing i could potentially see is like oh we want people to get the subscription service but like every six months we get like jelly boy added it's like what like earthbound was really exciting but it's like that that service is also pitched as like a bonus for Nintendo Online. Like it's not even like the main thing. It's like right. if you pay for Nintendo Online, you also get all these things. It seems that like they're kind of pivoting towards supporting it more, which is cool. But again, like maybe some people don't want to have to pay per month to have those games. Maybe I could just pay once yeah. to own one of them. You know, like. But
0: they're also not going to add 3DS stuff, and like definitely right. not going to add Wii U stuff. You know, like the the most Wii U preservation we've seen is stuff getting ported to Switch. Exactly. But like. How are you going to port a 3DS game? I mean, they've done it with a couple, but like in most cases, how are you going to port a 3DS game to the Switch? It's just very confusing. It's very confusing that they have no outlet. Like, I don't see them ever making a, here's a DS version of the Nintendo online subscription. And like, we're going to have the two screens next to each other on the Switch and you're going to love playing it that way. Like that's that just doesn't yeah. seem like the move. So that just means there's no way to play this stuff unless you do the kind of stuff that you and I do which is, like, get the original hardware, get, like, an R4 card with an SD card built into it, or, like try your best to find stuff at retro stores and give the retro stores money. And Nintendo is still not seeing a dime of literally any of that.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm someone who like, I have a nostalgic attachment to, like, I like having the physical media. Yeah. So I spend a lot of money and and I like supporting those stores more than I like supporting Nintendo. So I'm like happy <laughs> too. that yeah. like I'm supporting like a friendly small business over a giant corporation. But even still, it's like, cool, I want to get Dragon Quest six. That'll be $150, please. Like, yeah, that's like, come on, that's crazy so i don't know it's very unfortunate and i wonder i wonder where it's headed and i i think in in the interim what we wanted to do i did this a little bit on twitter it's kind of funny because the games we recommend are like obviously like kind of big ones but i in my line of thinking is like what are the ones that are likely not going to ever be ported to switch that are going to skyrocket in price yeah that are very dependent on the 3ds hardware that you can get now easily that will be harder to get later. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. before before the crash, this is like the, you know, sell, sell, sell moment right. of the 3DS. And it's also kind of eerie because we have our DS episode lined up, which like thankfully DS stuff like isn't too hard to find and emulation is like pretty good. So yes. like if you're savvy enough and if you do the research, you can get access to these games but it, it's it's like, why is that the only avenue? That's sort of my big moral question is like, you know, and, and obviously like my goal in life is to not just give Nintendo all my money. Like, but it's just like very bizarre that like the people who are calling the shots, Largely have an active disinterest in preserving what we love them for yes Um, and that's troubling to me
0: (laughs) right yeah Yeah, it it has kind of like a Disney vault energy and even Disney doesn't have the Disney vault anymore because like eventually they just did Disney plus and now you can watch everything so yeah. I mean, there, there's like an understanding, even in the company that kind of popularized this like manufactured scarcity idea, you know, that they've even pivoted away from that because I think personally, my feeling on it is it just destroys consumer goodwill uh, more than anything else. I'm not feeling better about The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds because eventually I'll be able to pick up a remaster of it on whatever comes after the Switch. I'm feeling upset the whole time that there's no legal way to play it.
2: Exactly. Exactly right. It's just very unfortunate. And it's bizarre like that Nintendo is is like because, I mean, Sony, it, this is a widespread issue. I think Microsoft are the only, seems to be the only, like, major company in the game space that, like, have tried to preserve stuff. Yeah. But they've they've kind of done all they can. They're like, okay, cool. We, we've, like, there was that announcement that, like, everything we could possibly license is on the eStore for, like, yeah. 360 and earlier. But, like, that's kind of it for now because yeah. we can't do anything else. Yeah,
0: the announcement was essentially, like, we tried talking to as many publishers and developers and studios as possible to get stuff backwards compatible on the xbox and like we've hit the limit of games that we can do everyone else has said no to us so it's clearly widespread i think to your point and
2: it's also it's ironic too because the switch has such a great such great third-party support like so many games are ported to the switch yeah. older games are ported to the switch like it has a pretty wide range and i i wonder if like their line of thinking is like well over time we will port stuff or there'll be like a surprise announcement for the virtual console but like even then like i don't even trust that that's their idea (laughs) it's also worth stating i know that a lot of this stuff is harder to do than it feels like like i know that there are more steps involved than we would probably realize but like again there's enough data to show that nintendo like actively doesn't care to do this that's distressing
0: right the only 3ds game they've backed up is (laughs) Miitopia. by porting it to the switch yeah, which of course means the other like the other game we'll get on the switch is like Tamodachi life or something. They'll make Tamodachi yeah, life right. on the switch and then they'll be like, that's our 3DS preservation. That's it.
2: They'll be like, <laughs> well, no one bought it. So we're
0: not going to do it again. It's because like, you ported that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <what>? <laughs> Unfortunately, I will buy Tamodachi life if they ported. The <laughs> to the
2: those games are, are, are worth experiencing because they're just so bizarre. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do you want to get into the games that we think are like good to pick up now?
0: Yeah, and and again, this is like inherently silly. Because we're like asking, we just like dunked on this company. It's like, but you should give them money while you can. But like, it is good to have some of this stuff, I I think, backed up for yourself. And I don't mean like you have to go on the e shop and pick it up. Like, go to a retro store and pick it up if it's like available and the price is okay. Yeah, find another way to do it. Um, I'll say this much: I haven't messed with it at all, and I'm being actually very serious when I say that. Like, really haven't messed with it at all. But I do know the 3DS emulation is like really good. I've heard really good things. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is nice to know that like the emulation community is kind of on it already in that case. That is um, good. and I also know that the Wii U emulation scene is like rock solid. Like people are playing the, the Wii U version of breath of the wild with like mod support and like 4k up resing and like new ray tracing and shaders and stuff. So like yeah. those games are all going to be fine. But if you're looking for like a quick best of thing, I think we were just going to hit you with a couple. My, my big ones honestly are the digital ones that are like, yeah right things like pocket card jockey for example that we talked about in recent episodes like that's a game that's just going to go away forever and there's not going to be a physical way to pick it up and i would bet that we will never see game freak release that on another platform (laughs) (laughs) which
2: is such a shame because it's one of the most bizarre and intriguing games i've played and best
0: i would say it's one of the best games on the 3ds
2: yeah no for real i mean it's a really clever spin on solitaire with with one of the best intros to a game that exists um you described the intro on an earlier episode and like it sounds like it sounds funny and silly and when i actually played it like you were not exaggerating in any way Uh, it is it is as strange as you pitched it so yeah and that's also like if you do feel more comfortable getting it on the store it's like seven dollars
0: yeah, it's it's pretty cheap.
2: That was one of mine uh, on my on my Twitter thread cause I just again, it's like this will probably not exist and might be hard to like find. I, I guess it could be emulated too, but either way, like, yeah, that's a that's a big one.
0: Yeah. What what else you got? What other ones do you want to highlight?
2: I mean, you know, and this is like. There there are a lot of games that I think would be good to pick up that I haven't played that again. I imagine Radiant Historia, the the 3DS remake of the DS. I just That's the one I was gonna bring
0: up, or one of the ones I was gonna bring up. I see
2: that game in a glass case for like six hundred dollars in a few months. Like I feel like you should get it now if you can. Yeah. Fire Emblem Awakening, we had a whole bonus on that's like one of the best of the series. That that makes me very sad because that is such a great entry in that series that will probably be really really hard to find yeah and i don't really foresee a port even though like they have ported some older fire emblem stuff to the switch i because of the dual screen stuff i just imagine it makes it harder
0: yeah i'm sure
2: and a big one for both of us is definitely link between worlds because that's also one of the few games that like actually uses the
0: 3d so (laughs) that that was
2: like kind of why i'm like you should definitely get this while you can because like
0: how do you replicate that in a meaningful way right yeah via emulation Or whatever yeah I, I have a couple I, I mean one of the biggest ones for me is Fantasy Life um, which is a great game by Level 5 that like went on to get a mobile sequel that was really bad and people didn't like like they were making a direct sequel to it and then they were like what if it was mobile and filled with microtransactions like obviously it's terrible <laughs> um, so if you want like just kind of the perfect version of it I would say pick it up on 3DS uh, any way you possibly can because that game is like as close to perfect as games get I think um, I, I didn't even say what it was but it's like a little RPG where you switch jobs around a town and you get to do a bunch of different things and they're like they range from very classic stuff to like Final Fantasy jobs where you're like a warrior and a mage but there's also like I'm a chef and I'm going to spend a lot of time cooking or I'm a woodcutter and I'm just going to go like clear out this area of the forest and you level all that stuff up individually and taking jobs levels up other jobs it's just great it's just a great little perfect clock of a video game um I can't recommend it highly enough
2: um, another big one I think for both of us is Dragon Quest Eight, which you can actually yeah. get. You can get on mobile, and you talked about how mobile is like not a bad way to play it. It seems like the PS Two copy is also not super pricey on like ebay
0: if you want to get that i also imagine you can emulate that pretty easily i've been considering doing the ps2 version recently
2: yeah i do really like it on 3ds i like the handheld aspect of it so i also imagine that that particular version of the game is going to get pricey like all
0: dragon quest games get so yes that would be one that feels like a bye-bye, sell-sell moment. And that's that's one of the th- ones I wanted to bring up, too, is Dragon Quest Seven specifically, because Dragon oh, Quest yeah, VII yeah. is not available on mobile, and it's not available anywhere else. They they remade it for the 3DS. You can either play that or the PS1 version, and most people would say just play the 3DS one. And as you just said, Dragon Quest, I know from experience now, getting very into Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest games, physical editions of Dragon Quest games, are exorbitantly expensive. So Dragon Quest Seven is going to be and is already wildly expensive i picked my copy of it up for the 3ds for i think like 120 dollars, which is like way too much but i was and like that was a steal that was a steal yeah i i like walked in and saw it and was like i have to get it because it's here and it's in front of me but you can just get it on the e-shop for like 30 <laughs> like a normal person right right
2: <laughs> and the other thing too is that in the eShop, you know, if you have a new 3DS, especially there's like Earthbound and yeah. a lot of games that are I mean, that's on Switch now, so it's a little bit less of a big deal, but um, there's a lot of retro stuff that is like not easy to find elsewhere. Like yeah. weird stuff like Zelda 2 and like uh you know I mean, I don't know how hard it is to find Zelda, but like just stuff like that. It's like less than ten dollars. Um, again, if you're getting it directly in emulation, I think renders this whole thing obsolete anyway. But <laughs> the Ocarina of Time remake, I would also recommend just for being, I think, the best way to play that game. As much as like the version on Switch like is playable, like I this version feels like the way to experience it in a modern uh, playing of it.
0: Yeah, I've heard that about the Majora's Mask uh, version on 3DS also. Yeah, either yeah.
2: one. And again, I think that these <laughs> I, I joked about this on Twitter as well, but it's like I'm recommending Ocarina of Time 2. But I do think that like this version is going to be very sought after once these stores gone, because like Nintendo games in general just don't drop in price, like even stuff for the Game Boy Advance, which we learned very well. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get Pokemon on anything is like at least 40 bucks still. It's just, it just very silly. But yeah, I think that was it for me. I mean, again, there there's so many. Like It's yeah. really like a really wonderful library. But I, I just want to choose games that I think are A, going to be sought after and B, are going to be hard to replicate like Pocket Card Jockey and Link Between Worlds
0: yeah i think i mean i i have a couple more there there are some games that i think are just going to be like totally fucking lost to time honestly yeah it's kind yeah. of upsetting um kirby planet robobot is like a great kirby game and unfortunately like nobody really played it when it came out as far as i know like i didn't really hear a lot of people talking about it and i definitely won't hear about people talking about it ever again so uh yeah. i just want to give that game its last shout out <laughs> and then also i think the version i I said this on twitter when they announced this but i think the version of uh, Smash smash four specifically that came out on the 3ds is better than the version that came out on wii u i've said that yeah, on the show many that. times yeah. i feel like they designed or or sakurai specifically and team designed that game for 3ds first and then nintendo went back this is just a conspiracy theory i have and then nintendo said <laughs> you need to also put it on wii u because the wii u is failing but you're the year, Wii U lost us 400 million <laughs> yes exactly um <laughs> Because the 3DS version of Smash 4 just feels so right on that system that I, I feel like it had to have been designed there first. It's really good. It came great.
2: out first, too. So, yeah, it yeah. makes sense.
0: Uh, so, would recommend that as well, because that, I think, is also going to be increasingly more difficult to find. And also, uh, it's just, like, a great game in general if you haven't had that experience. And you, you're wondering how Smash could possibly be good on 3DS. They made it work, and it's awesome. But, yeah, I mean, there's other stuff. Like, Mario 3D Land, I think, is, like, pretty good and it's sad that it's going to be gone but like it's not the best box boy is great that's a digital only one i mean you
2: know new leaf we can go on and on there's so many yeah great Uh, games but yeah i this is less a lot of these are like obvious hits but again i just think it's like stuff that i anticipate will be hard to get for a good price yeah uh, if you're not emulating
0: the wii u is kind of a weirder one i don't have a lot of recommendations there um but but the the reason it bums me out is like the Wii U. I, I think we've been joking a lot in in the wake of Metroid Dread that, like the only way to play all the Metroid games is to have a switch and a Wii U for some reason because <laughs> like it's the only place legally you can get zero mission infusion right now, yeah and now that's going away so there's going to be literally no way to legally play Zero Mission Infusion Fusion after that. So there will just be like a chunk of the mainline Metroid games that won't be playable which is really so bizarre. Weird. But outside of that I mean a lot of the stuff that I really liked on Wii U got ported to Switch and like not that that's The best move, honestly, is to like recreate the game and sell it for $60 again on a new thing. But like Tokyo Mirage Sessions, for example, I think is a great Wii U game um, that is now on Switch. And I love Uh, Mario Kart 8, as we've talked about, is probably the best Mario Kart. And the deluxe version is like unbelievable. And they're still adding stuff to it, as we know now. I mean, we got uh, Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Uh, So. And Splatoon 2, I would
2: argue, Splatoon 2 is like pretty much like here's a Splatoon again on the new system. Yeah. Because that was like that was a new series when the Wii U came out and I think was like the mainline stuff on the Wii U was great but there was really no third party support which is what really killed the system yeah so like I'm glad Nintendo at least but it it is very funny that Nintendo actively preserved the Wii U and nothing else (laughs) 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 although I mean again I'm glad (laughs) we have the NES and SNES and now N64 stuff and I hope that that continues but like even the way that games there play is a little bit off Like I don't like that I can't change the borders of the screen, and the button input is often weird too. So like, while it's nice, it is sort of like the bare minimum in some ways. Yeah, but at least it exists.
0: I see a future in which Wii U stuff will end up, or like Wii and Wii U stuff that doesn't require too much motion control input or double screen input, uh, could could make its way over to Switch in a kind of yeah. I mean, like like Skyward Sword. yeah. Yeah,
2: I can see that Galaxy as well.
0: Yeah. But who knows? Anyway, that's Nintendo stuff. The eShop is closing. Goodbye. I'm glad they've at least stopped the available till March 31st shit. Like that happened with
2: the Mario trilogy. That we know
0: of. I mean, they could pull it again. That's true. But that's like
2: that's like in real time active preservation. It's like this new game will only exist until March 31st.
0: Yeah, they did that with that Fire Emblem and with the the Mario collection and that still is so egregious. And what's so funny, too, is uh, because there are like people who are developers for the Switch who do like really deep dives into this stuff. On YouTube, but the emulator that they use uh, for Mario 64, because it's just an emulator running in the background for Mario 64 in that version, is better than the one that is available in the Nintendo Switch Online version of N64 games. Which is really strange <laughs> that they're like different yeah. or perform differently. I don't know. It's it's wild. It, it's Nintendo, man. You you can never.
2: Yeah. I mean, we like we did an episode about that collection and it's great to have those games on Switch. But again, it's like the way it's done is very bizarre. Yeah, it felt Um, dirty buying it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was very excited. And then the March 31st during Aries season of all times, you pull this shit. (laughs) Anyway, do honestly do whatever feels comfortable in terms of like getting access to these games, whether that's getting them on the store while they're cheap or emulating. You know, I, I just want this stuff to be preserved and enjoyed and admired. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Yeah. All right. That's it. Goodbye, <laughs> eStore. Goodbye, eStore. Thank you for my Twilight Princess theme. Bring themes back. I will gladly give Nintendo a lot of money for themes again. I Why agree. do I only get white and black on Switch? I've said this many times, and I keep saying it. I know that's not how our magic works. We can't actively request things to exist. <laughs> but I want themes back. I'm so bored. Even Me on too. PS5. Why do I have to hack my Switch to get themes? I bought. To get FF7 themes, and now I just have like Sony news. Like, no, I want my theme back.
0: Ugh. Goodbye, 3DS. Goodbye, Wii U. Goodbye, the worst Go- version of Mass Effect 3. <laughs>
2: <laughs> In this next generation of Nintendo consoles, you can play the final installment of a trilogy with no way to play the prior games. But you got a cool little pad with your menu. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Brendan. Steven. Towards the end of last year, there was a new game that you and I were excited about called Voice of Cards, published by Square. And The Isle Dragon Roars. The Isle Dragon Roars, thank you. Uh, it was made by Yoko Taro and a lot of people that were heavily involved with the Dragon Guard series and Nier. Uh, we are big Near Automata fans and are at the very least curious as to whatever Yoko Taro makes next. Yeah, And it seemed like a really cool premise for a game, essentially a card game where everything in the world was made of cards. So like you would be walking around kind of a JRPG world map and it would be like every tile of the world was a card. And as you uncovered the fog of war, the cards would like turn over. So the presentation yeah. was really cool. We played it and we liked it. I, we thought it was a really good like proof of concept, uh, but kind of moved on afterwards. And from from interviews with Yoko Taro, it seems like he initially pitched the game as a mobile game as like, here's like a platform for like multiple campaigns or like, yes. you know, something like that. So there's a new campaign in the world the voice of cards that you picked up that i'm very excited to hear about
0: yeah i guess just to fill in some blanks too uh just to be clear like this is a separate game you have to buy it separately it's not like dlc for the first one like this is a totally different thing that you have to like buy and download onto your nintendo switch or playstation device it is weird that this isn't available on mobile because it feels so fit for it like the switch has really great motion controls uh sorry not motion controls uh touchscreen controls for this game. Yeah. It would feel like right at home on iOS and Android and like tablets and stuff. Uh so that's very confusing totally. to me. I'm hoping that they make their way over there. But anyway, yeah, the first game I thought was pretty good. I, I liked a lot of what was going on. I liked the way the combat Me worked. Too. I liked a lot of, I mean, the music was amazing. The The art was really stunning. The presentation is just like very cool. And the voice acting is really fun. the The way the narration works in particular, the guy just feels like, super bored in a way to like be telling you that story yeah yeah which i like the the thing that put me off of that game eventually in time actually was that kind of laissez-faire tone in a sense um specifically all the characters had it too like all the characters kind of had like a like a a holier-than-thou attitude to them and the protagonist specifically was like actively like a Holden Caulfield type like he just seemed like like he never was doing the stuff that i wanted to do he he was like whenever i picked an option from a from a set of dialogue options like he would always say the thing that i picked in the worst way possible he was like actively kind of like a a mean and bad person and they wrote him that way on purpose
2: right but it was almost too effective where it's like i don't want to be with this guy yes exactly
0: (laughs) uh and that was kind of the reason i put the game down and then eventually went over to dungeon encounters which is another square enix game that launched around the same time that like similarly felt pretty uh experimental in terms of like what they were trying to accomplish is like let's just see if an all mechanics game will work and i really liked that as well yeah but i kind of was holding out hope so just to be clear that was in october that isle dragon roars came out i was always holding out hope that like sometime late this year or maybe early next year we would see another voice of cards that like just kind of refined everything that we liked about the first one um and and like created a more compelling thing and um They did it. They have a game that's out way sooner than I thought it was going to be. It's called The Forgotten Maiden. And it's available now. And I downloaded it and I picked it up. And I think you in particular are really going to love this because um, I really love it already. I like really, really love it in In a week where I just want to be clear. I'm playing a lot of games all at once. Yeah. Like I played both the Portal games. I played uh, Inscription this week, which I'll talk about eventually on the show. Not very this episode. I'm very excited to hear about that. Um, yeah. I played like 10 to 15 hours of Cyberpunk already. I played two hours <laughs> of Horizon Forbidden West. But the thing... That I want to be playing more than anything else is is this new voice of cards. Specifically because they just like fixed all my problems with it. Yeah. First of all, it's very nautical, which is one of the reasons I think you're going to like it a lot. We always love that, yeah. That by itself is great. But also all the characters are really interesting and good. And the world is like nice and pleasant to be in. uh, And they haven't changed a single thing about how it works mechanically. So like I just have everything I liked mechanically about the first one with character story setting and tone improved. The music is still great. I'm sailing from island to island, visiting little villages and like hanging out with people. My party is cool and filled with very interesting like weirdos. I'm, I'm just having like a good time generally speaking that said there is still the asterisk there where like it's a yokotaro joint so every once in a while there is something that's really surprising and subversive that happens so it's kind of a best of all world scenario it just feels like isle dragon roars was as you mentioned a proof of concept for this like this is yeah the executional high point of this to me and when i go on to the next one i almost hope that they actually do change something mechanically like now that i feel like i've gotten everything i wanted out of voice of cards I'm kind of hoping that whatever comes next is a little bit more of an evolution of that. But right now, like, I mean, just to give you like a little bit of the story, you start your journey on this island that you grew up on and essentially the island is doomed. Uh, It has like very, very few inhabitants. It's doomed because it's going to be overtaken by monsters because in every island in this like archipelago that you live on, each island has its own like spiritual maiden who just kind of like protects the place and like has a super cool weapon and is like... infused with magic and can just like fight off all the monsters and and they're almost like a deterrent just by existing like these maidens are deterrents and your island doesn't have a maiden like there wasn't a maiden that was born to your island this generation so like you're just kind of screwed and everyone you talk to in the village is like well we're all gonna die this sucks (laughs) and your player character is like i i won't stand for that like i don't think that that's the case i think that i can go out into the world and find something that will help fix this i would say very uh coincidentally you are also friends with somebody who sure looks like they would be a spiritual maiden (laughs) and uh, it's Implied heavily, never said outright, but like very clear that like she was supposed to be the maiden, but there's something wrong and like maybe she doesn't feel like she's up to the task. I see. So the two of you set out to go like meet with all the other maidens and talk to them and figure out what to do. And that's kind of like the impetus for the whole quest is like just go from island to island and have conversations with all these people. And every time you do, every time you meet a maiden, they're like, I'm just going to join your party for a bit. Like me and my retainer are going to like hang out, join your party. They all have like super cool new abilities. They join you. They all of their gear and levels and stuff are locked so like you don't really have to worry about managing them which is really nice but they just come in and like add some fun flair to your party for a while while you go and do a quest with them and then you move on to the next island and that's a really cool structure for a game i think yeah because they're messing with the party system they're messing with combat in really meaningful ways and all the characters are like well written and fun and like cool to hang out with it's just like really great i'm really surprised too because this game just to be clear got announced like two weeks ago like they announced that this game was coming like two weeks ago and then it dropped the same day as horizon forbidden west and the day after cyberpunk 1.5 so like (laughs) it absolutely got buried i've seen literally nobody talk about it at all um except for a couple people in the discord who were like i'm playing this and like that's as much conversation as there's been (laughs) it exists yeah so i'm i am hoping that um more people jump onto it and i and you specifically because i think you're really gonna like it i'm excited to play it yeah it's in my list of things that i really like this year i'll say that much uh and i I think it'll be there for a while if i keep playing it it continues being this good is it still narrated by like a bored DM the whole time? He, or is seems, it, no, he seems more lively in this one. He seems a little <laughs> bit. He's having fun. Yeah. yeah. He, he He does seem like he's, uh, he's kind of like, different a little bit uh every once in a while it's fun i I was just walking through this dungeon and just kind of exploring and i was like uncovering all the cards uncovering all the pathways that i could go down and across there was like a river through this cave that i couldn't get across and but across the other side of the river there's a treasure chest and the narrator said something along the lines of like across the river bank there across the riverbank there's a treasure chest he like he like cleared his throat and like redid the line in real time I was like that's sick that's great leave it in I'm glad that's you amazing. left that in yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's on purpose or not or like if that just happened in the recording booth but it's great and it adds so much character to the narrator I really like yeah, it yeah and that's that's a very Yokotaro move. move so I think yeah. what
2: was appealing about the first voice of cards the Isle Dragon Roars is that it was very much like aware of being a game not in like a meta way but just in like very comfortable showing the skeleton of the creation the thing that kind of lost me was i feel like all the twists were a little bit like edge lordy, where it was like oh like this person actually like eats people or something like, <laughs> yeah eh, whatever yeah. like you know like you know and, and i think they were just sort of having fun with the concept and i think it seems like yokotaro's intention with this was like creating a format for multiple games so it sounds like they're having more fun with the actual world of, of this one and i'm excited to see it
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think I think it's going to be extremely more your speed than the first one was. I feel more compelled to like finish it than I did with the first. Like the first one you and I talk about this sometimes with this show where like it varies from game to game. But you can tell how much of a game you need to have experience to like have a take on it and like feel good about talking about it on this show. And I feel like Isle Dragon Roars was like maybe three hours was like and that's honestly a pretty big chunk of that game because I think at most it's like 10 Yeah, it's it's around 10. I got a little farther. I got to like
2: uh, at least a little over halfway through and I felt pretty good putting it down. Because I think what lost me a little bit with the gameplay was like there were all these really interesting ways to build your character, but the combat didn't really ask you to do that. It was a little, I don't want to say it was too easy, but it wasn't like the encounters weren't built to really need you to do anything beyond the bare minimum. Like you Mm -hmm. can kind of just like, Brute force your way through most interactions. Where, like, if your game is a deck builder, I mean, it's not, it is, and it isn't. We said this in the episode it's more of like a JRPG that happens to be built by cards. Yeah. So every character had like a fixed amount of abilities you can choose from. But even with that, it's like there's a lot of planning of like, what abilities do I want? What do I want to focus on? And like, it was more just like, how do you want to win versus like, this is the <laughs> key to your success. Yeah, um, you know, which I'm glad it wasn't like too difficult, but also like it didn't really come together is more of the phrase
0: here. Here's where I think this version of the game kind of makes a meaningful shift away from that is I think of the story. Yeah. I think the story being more compelling makes you focus less on the mechanics of combat because you're more invested in what's going on narratively. Whereas in True. Isle Dragon Roars, I was so uninvested in what was happening narratively that the only thing I could really focus on was combat. And how and how the game worked mechanically, which is why I eventually went and played Dungeon Encounters instead was like, just get the story out of here. Actually, (laughs) this game, I I feel I feel the pull. I feel the I feel the the force of the story pushing me through um, stuff that like maybe I would be less into. Um, But honestly, I'm enjoying a lot of it. And, and I think switching out the party members pretty frequently has been really, yeah. really fun. It's a really cool thing. And you're going to like that a lot, too.
2: I mean, I'm glad this came out because I definitely would have still recommended the first one to people who are curious. But it sounds like this is just like a better version of it. Yeah. Um. So
0: I'm excited to play it. Yeah. My big thing about this not being on iOS is I've been spending a lot of time over the past couple of weeks just looking up like what are the best I don't know every once in a while I come to the show with just like a strange list that I put together like I did that one episode that was um here's all the best like free stuff on the switch like free to play games oh yeah um Warface was that one of them Warface was one of them yeah yeah uh I've been considering doing something along those lines for JRPGs on iOS and mobile or Mm. MMOs on iOS and mobile which um I've been playing a bunch of mmos on ios that are like absolutely terrible so i might just like bail on that idea totally but (laughs) the jrpg one is a little bit more troubling because the answer to that question is like what are the best jrpgs you can play on mobile are like final fantasy ports and dragon quest ports and then that's like kind of it and fantasia which is apple arcade there's kind of a dearth there's not a whole lot going on there and i feel like if they put voice of cards on ios it would immediately be one of the best games on ios like so quickly it would be like chief among the best games that you can get on that entire platform which is kind of wild that there's like that big of a hole in that market that is so saturated with like trash
2: <laughs> Sorry. the way you said trash was like a final fantasy villain it was perfectly on point for the conversation <laughs> trash this world is doomed to repeat itself um that's amazing
0: yeah, I'm excited to play it. It's on Switch only right now? No, it's on Switch and PS4. Uh, so it's on the oh. Sony platforms as well. And it might be cool. on PC. I'm not sure. I haven't checked. Um, but I, I know for a fact that it's on Switch and uh, PlayStation. Um, so well, it's
2: good. It's widely available. Yeah.
0: yeah. If you have a Switch, that is the place to play it, though. Because like, having it handheld, having it mobile is really great. I, I recommend it. It's also like not, you know, I think it's like 20 bucks or something. It's like nice, affordable. It's good. I like it. I have no idea how long it is, but I imagine it's also pretty short. I would guess it's like in the 10 to 12 hour range as well.
2: Yeah. I wonder how many they're planning on releasing and if they may be connected in some way or not.
0: That's, um, that's my big question mark is like, am I going to get towards the yeah. end of this game and run into, uh, I was almost going to mention some characters, but I, I feel like I, there are some characters in the first game that I wouldn't be surprised if they showed up towards the end of this, but, uh, we'll see.
2: Yeah. I mean, Yokotaro loves making the player repeat the game. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if someone was like, why don't you just release multiple games <laughs> to
0: make that like, <laughs> an easier process? He's like, yeah, why not? Let's yeah. Do that. Yeah. There, there's going to be 26 voice of cards ga- voice of card games <laughs> instead of one voice of card game with 26 routes.
2: Yeah. And one of them is just like a mannequin playing solitaire and like Yokotaro laughing <laughs> in the background.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm uh, excited to see more There's another really good Yoko Taro bit in this game Where uh, you build a ship So you can leave the island And uh, they ask you If you want to name your ship And if you say yes uh, Your guy just like Gets like too flustered By the by the prospect of needing To figure out How to like Come up with a good name For something uh, And then you have to Defer to your party members And they have to come up With a name for you Because I thought That there was just Going to be like a text box That showed up I was so excited To yeah. name my ship The Aether And then uh, it, it didn't happen Which is great <laughs> That's very funny. Um, um yeah, It's good. Cool.
2: I'm excited to check it out. I definitely will pick it up.
0: Yes. Do you want to wrap up? Yeah, I think so. I feel like there's a lot of stuff to go over in the wrap up. Well, you and I are about to record the portal bonus soon, which I'm very excited about.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's going to... We're recording that in a couple days at the time of this recording. I imagine it will come out at the end of the month. Yeah. Uh, so probably I would say the Monday or Tuesday after this episode comes out. So yeah. Keep an eye out for that. Very, very excited for that one. And you also have videos of your full playthrough of I think one and two on YouTube yeah Um, that's amazing
0: so you can check out that whole thing Um, that was really fun to play on video specifically just like watching them get harder and harder Uh, because like some of the later test chambers in 2 like finally started to give me some trouble because I I felt like somebody even commented on YouTube was like you are a god at Portal it's like I'm not a god I just kind of remember some of these (laughs) answers Um, Yeah. but 2 started to give me some trouble towards the end so that was really fun because there are a couple uh, we'll talk about it later but there are a couple instances in Portal 2 where like figuring out the solution really just lit up every positive center of my brain. Uh, So
2: really stuck I did that. use those videos to kind of help me when I was stuck because there were there were one or two moments in Portal 1. It's been long enough since I played that I had forgotten pretty much most of it. I remembered a lot of puzzles needing to like jump from high altitudes into a portal mm-hmm. but uh, there was one where like I was stuck for a good like half hour and I was like I'm going to see what Brendan did and you immediately found what I was looking for. You're like <laughs> oh look at that. I'm like god
0: damn it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was when you're uh, we'll talk about it later but uh, they're really great videos to watch and they're also helpful guides if you need one
0: yeah i specifically made sure that i didn't talk about spoilers in any of it it was really just meant to be like kind of a walkthrough in a sense but also just me re-experiencing it yeah so uh if you're worried about spoilers don't because I didn't. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, inscription I'm playing, I, I will talk about that in a future episode. Um, specifically how I'm playing Inscription is kind of weird and kind of fitting for Inscription. My I'll give like a one sentence takeaway just to let it linger because uh, I, I kind of want you to have played it also before we really talk about it more. Mm. But the the thing about Inscription to me is that I feel like as I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's extremely compelling. But the big asterisk here is that it was definitely a moment in time where everyone was playing inscription and everyone was hyping each other up on inscription and without that hype structure inscription is not as compelling to me unfortunately like i like i liked when it was having its moment and i wish i could have played it then but unfortunately it not being available on mac didn't let that happen um mm-hmm. so uh, I I'm really liking the first phase of inscription still. I have not made it past the first phase of inscription and I know I'll probably like it a lot more after that. And I think even removed from whatever hype cycle is happening, it'll probably still be compelling and cool and good. Um, sure. But, yeah. So there's that. Um, and then also man, cyberpunk, I, I really didn't think I was going to like it, but, uh, I sure am going to play a lot more of it. I don't know in what context we'll ever talk about it on the show. Uh, like, I don't know if I'll bring it as a, honestly, I could see that being like a patron episode where I just like gush at you about cyberpunk or find somebody else who has played it (laughs) to talk about it. With That's actually a great idea. Yeah. I mean, that's something we've, we've thought about
2: doing on the Patreon is like whenever there's a bonus idea that we're not fully on the same page on. Yeah. Cause I, I think like it doesn't happen super often, but every now and then there's something where it's like, well, at least like, even if we end up doing it later, we can have this too kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, One lingering so. thought that I, I had um, in our conversation about Horizon Forbidden West that I do want to inject in here though as well is I would say in terms of the uh, in terms of the comparisons between all these open world games and how they handle narrative Cyberpunk's main quest is actually so compelling that I completely ignored the fact that there were side quests available until I had like finished the inciting event which takes like five to six hours and like like Horizon Forbidden West that's when the uh, title card shows up. But like those first couple hours, if they had just released that as its own video game, like that would be an extremely compelling and very cool story. They kept trying to hit me with side quests. They were like, these are available if you want to do them. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I care too much about this heist specifically and the characters that I'm hanging out with. Um, and uh, yeah, man, if you're going to open a game with a heist, I'm going to play it until it's over.
2: Yeah, I, I also watched the Tim Rogers review or at least part of it because he has the whole thing about choosing your path within his many videos about it mm-hmm. but uh it did surprise me at how like i i even removed from all the like awfulness around that game's production and everything like i just didn't really have a strong interest like yeah. i thought it looked cool and i was interested but i felt like i was almost peer pressured to care at all like i just did <laughs> not really like and i don't want like i know a lot of people were genuinely very excited for it for a very long time right But it felt more like, oh, yeah, that looks cool. I don't know. I just I didn't really grip me in the same way that other games do. So like even outside of everything around it, I just didn't really have a strong interest. But watching that video by Tim Rogers, like I was surprised at how compelling certain narratives sounded like in his description of like Keanu's character and like other things. It seems and from friends of mine who have played it, it seems like there is brilliance within a giant like kind of mess. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's that's a really I mean, that that is actually maybe the best way of putting it is just like. Every once in a while, I have these moments where I actually like need to put the controller down. I'm like, I actually I can't believe that this very bad game did something so good. Um <laughs> Even just like yeah. there's, there's one sequence in particular in a bar right before you get like a really big job where it's like you and your best friend hang out. Your best friend is named Jackie Wells, and he's like absolutely the reason to play the game. He he would be your <laughs> favorite character if you played it. You would love Jackie I'm Wells sure. so So much. (laughs) He is so well written and so fun to be around. And the two of you are hanging out and and he orders a drink at the bar because he like knows the lore of the city and knows what kinds of drinks you're supposed to order at this bar specifically, which is set up in such a way where all of the drinks are just the names of like robbers and thieves who have, like, pulled off huge jobs and died in the process of pulling off huge jobs. And it's, like, great. It's, like, a great sequence where, like, he shows up and he's so proud to be invited to go to this bar and to, like, order a drink from this bartender who has, like, seen it all. And that bit has been stuck in my head for, like, days. Like, I I can't stop thinking about just, like, watching him, like, so giddy walking up to the bar and sitting down and, like, knowing exactly what he wanted to order and, like, turning to you and just, like, vomiting all of the lore of the city at you because he's so excited <laughs> to be a part of it too i get it i like i in moments like that i really get it and then yeah. there are other moments where it's like i'm watching somebody eat curly fries and sink into the concrete you know <laughs> <laughs> look it goes down to intention execution and also like focus
2: i think like yeah again when a mission of a game is just to be the biggest and loudest thing possible that gets in the way of like yeah the really like you you can have a really ambitious game pay off, but like I think sometimes the the moments that are created to provide character and setting are lost in the effort to make as much as possible. Yeah, but I haven't played it yet. So I mean, I <laughs> based on what I've heard and seen, I imagine that's like a pretty respectful take for it, but um I'm glad you're finding joy within it. Uh, that's really cool
0: i'm surprised yeah um maybe maybe i'll stream that more but um anyway i actually i have to get going believe it or not dear listener and dear steven so i'm gonna uh i'm gonna wrap it up i'm gonna not continue this cyberpunk segment that we just like (laughs) super glued onto the end uh i'm gonna wrap it up thank you so much for listening uh if you want to back the patreon patreon.com slash into the cast uh thank you to everybody who's doing that if it negatively impacts you financially in any way to back the patreon please do not You're all good. But that having been said, we have a website into the cast out online links to Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, all the things that we're talking about, uh, including the Patreon as well. Um, So you can go check our stuff out there, but generally speaking, one quick
2: note about the Patreon. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, just an update. I've, I've secretly hyped up that I'm working on a patron bonus. We had to reschedule the recording of that. So that will likely come out in early March. I haven't yet revealed what it is, but if you've been like, curious at all these weird secrets that's going to come out a little bit later than anticipated but that will be in march and we have some other ideas too for patron only content if you back the patreon at any time you get access to that entire backlog as well so if you like have to pull your support at some point and then maybe go back it will be available to you at any time you back the Patreon. Yeah. I just wanted to give a heads up with that.
0: Totally. Yeah. Well, outside of that, uh, thank you so much, everybody who listens. Uh, thank you for sharing the show. Thank you for writing reviews. Thank you for rating us on the various platforms. And uh, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brennan Bigley.
2: I'm Steven Hilger. You find me at Steven Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye, store Hello, Cyberpunk. <laughs> Goodbye, of the worst version of Batman Arkham City. <laughs> Goodbye, Pokemon X. Goodbye, Pokemon Y. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Goodbye, Sun. That one is. Goodbye, Moon. Yeah. Goodbye, Ultra Sun.
2: (laughs) Oh, uh, what's the what's that? Oh yeah, Black Hole Sun. That's what I was thinking of. There you go. Ultra Sun, won't you come and make it hard to game? Goodbye, store. So long. See you
0: in hell. Bye.